I have a word I believe that God's given me in a, to begin a series called Get Back Up. I have a couple questions before you before I read our first scripture of the day. I want to ask you in the room, how many of you, okay, how many of you are, are like the comeback story lovers? You love a good comeback story. You love like the, the down and out, yeah, yeah, over at Boynton or church at home. Come on, you love a good comeback story. We all do. Scripture is actually just riddled with them. And I have a second question. How many movie rewatchers do we have in the room? Come on. Yes, you drive your spouse crazy because you just rewatch movies. My wife asks me all the time, like, why, why don't we watch something new? I am so nostalgic. I love rewatching a movie. And to kind of combine those two questions, uh, I recently rewatched a movie, such a great comeback story called The Cinderella Man. Anybody watch Cinderella Man back in the day? It's a, it's a boxing movie. It is a tear-jerking like just unbelievably inspiring story about James J. Braddock. This is Russell Crowe who portrays him. Uh, it's amazing. He portrays such a great character too in the movie. But it's this beautiful story of James J. Braddock, famous boxer through like the, um, the Depression era. And he at the height of his career, I mean, he is just the man. He is winning fights, 26 record knockouts. I mean, the guy was an absolute stud. And then he hits hard times. He has a few uh, injuries that are real big setbacks for him. And they actually revoke his boxing license at one point because he's so washed up. The Great Depression hits. He's forced to go to the docks and work. And, and at that point, you can only you find certain shifts at the docks, which is pretty crazy. And so he's just struggling and fighting and battling his way through. And finally, he gets a chance to, to get back into boxing. One of the title fights that's supposed to come up, their, their opponent uh, actually drops out. And so they try to find anyone who would kind of be a piece of meat just to get beat up on. And they call James J. Braddock to the table. He's washed up. He's, he is not in his form. But he comes back, battles through that fight, and wins that fight, and is reinstated as a boxer. His second fight that he's going to fight, which is incredible, kind of halfway through the movie, he's, you start to see him get some steam. He's gotten back up. You're so excited. But he's going to fight Art Lasky. And Art Lasky, this was supposed to be a bloodbath. This was supposed to be a no contest, first round knockout in favor of Art I think it was like 10 to 1 odds. No one was betting for James J. Braddock at this time. And there's a moment in the middle of the fight, I love it. Because he's been through everything. They've had their power shut off. The kids were like starving and sick at one point. And he's, he's giving them their rations of food or his rations of food to feed the family. He's such a good father figure. In the, and, and you see this moment where he gets rocked by Art. And he goes back against the ropes and stumbles. His mouth guard goes flying. And you think he's going down, and he kind of he gathers himself for a moment. And as the lights flash and the crowd is roaring, and you hear this moment where he kind of goes like, you, that, that, like uh, that sound that's just like, Ooh, he can't really hear anything going on. He has this moment where he walks over to his mouthpiece. And as he does, these, these flashbacks are just flashing through his mind of his kids sick on the couch the milk being empty because he can't even afford milk to pay. His, his wife just breaking down into tears in the living room. Him, him working at the docks and hurting his hand. I mean, he just has all these flashbacks. And he goes over to his mouthpiece and bends down. Takes it up and puts it back in and his face is bloodied. And, and he smiles at Art Lasky. <laughs> and Art Lasky's face, I mean, he looks terrifying. What is this guy who's getting pummeled? smiling about 
But James J. Braddock knows at that moment, this is the moment. This is the comeback. This is the moment where I get back up and I fight my way through. And he actually wins that fight and goes on to win the title back from Max Baer. It's an incredible movie. I kind of just spoiled it for you. Sorry if you've never seen it. Just kind of gave you the synopsis. But we all love a good comeback story. In the heart of this series, Get Back Up, is a comeback story. And I'm telling you, the, the reason why I feel like God has given us this word it's going to be an awesome series. I'm so looking forward to the following talks, too. It's because I've seen so many believers lately just completely knocked down and knocked out of the fight of life, whether it's by their falls or their failures, and they seem to can't get back up. It seems like they can't get back up. They can't get even out of the mindset of the failure or the defeat. They've maybe fell in their marriage. They've maybe fallen uh, in their business life. They fell uh, in their parenting. Whatever it was, they feel like they've fallen, and not to quote a 90s life alert video, but a, a commercial, they've fallen and they can't get back up. They can't get up. They feel like they've fallen and they can't get up. But I so believe to the core of who I am that God has so much more for us than to live and our faults, and our failures. And so I'm going to read the first verse here to kind of establish our, our grounding for this series, and it's found in Proverbs 24, and it's verse 16. It says this, a righteous man falls seven times but gets back up. Look at your neighbor and tell him to get back up. Come on, wake up a little bit here. Boy, in that church at home, whoever you're sitting next to, tell him to get back up. Say it again with a little bit of passion inside of you. Come on. I'm telling you, as me and my wife were watching Cinderella, man, I've seen that movie probably a dozen times, all right? I'm going to be honest with you. We were still yelling at the screen. I'm like air punching. I'm like, yes, come on, man. Come on, get back up. Like, I'm kicking and punching. I'm like, and we're crying at points in the movie. Like, I've seen the movie already. I know that he gets back up. We're still yelling and we're still, why? Because I believe God's hardwired that inside of us that we, though we have fallen, a righteous man gets back up. I believe that the heart really behind this series is that we wouldn't let our faults and our failures keep us from living that transformed and abundant life that God has for us. That we don't settle to live in our faults and our failures. We need to get back up. But in order to do that, today I'm going to take an interesting turn and really focus on the first half of that verse. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you for a little bit of trust that hopefully we know each other now. I love you guys. I love this church. It means the world to me. I'm going to ask you for a little bit of trust on the front end of this message because you're going to be like, Josh, where, where are we going? But I really want to focus first on the fall. I really want to focus first on the righteous man falls because I think it's important in order to get back up, we need to come face to face with the fall. We need to address what has happened. We need to understand that I have fallen and I can rise. I can get back up, but I need to address the fall. And as I was prepping this message, I was like, Lord, I, like what, what qualifies the righteous man in this verse? It, it, it's got to be the getting back up, right? It, it surely can't be the fall. But what rocked me and what I saw in this scripture, what I feel like the Lord revealed to me, it's actually both. The righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. In order in this context to be righteous, it meant to be made right, or your condition had changed. You were made holy and blameless by a power not of your own. In order to be made right, something is wrong. In order to be a person who gets back up, there had to be a fall. And I just want to take a look at the fall. And I'm telling you, we're going to go somewhere. We're going to end in a place of hope. 
My nickname here is the Sweaty Teddy, too, by the way. I will sweat. I promise you that. If you're new here, don't be like, dude, is that guy going to be okay? Trust me, I'm fine. I'm just a big sweaty guy, all right? Hopefully the preaching gets better as I sweat more. So we'll, we'll start there. Here's what we need to see, though. We have three incorrect responses sometimes to our fall. These are the three things that I see the most in people as a pastor and even in myself at times. I want to look at these first, and then we'll move on. The first incorrect response, I believe, to our falls and our failures is this. Number one is that we deny it. Number one is that we deny it. If you're taking notes today, we will just deny that the fall has happened altogether. We would rather live in a state uh, that is not reality. We'd rather live in a state of just denial. Like, no, no, it actually didn't happen. I'd rather move on with my life and pretend that a fall or a failure has not taken place. And, And trust me, if we live in denial, we will not get back up. The second response that I see that's incorrect is that we downplay the fall. We downplay our failures. We downplay the mistake, right? It's not that big of a deal. I know I I, I just, I did a a dirty deal with my business partner, but it's not that big of a deal. I didn't hurt too many people. I I know I I cheated on my wife, but it's really not that big of a deal. It's a downplay. Like at the the end of the day, I thought I deserved it. And we, we just downplay that it's not that big of a deal, right? Yeah, I know I flew off the handle at my kids and and I I said things that I, I can't get back on, but it's not that big of a deal. They'll get over it. And we deny it, and if we don't deny it, we just downplay it. Well, it's not that big of a deal. Or or the third incorrect response I see is this, is that we deflect it. We we, we deflect it. We just deflect it onto others. It's just easier, right? This is the Adam and Eve syndrome. Adam, they fall in the garden. God shows up. He goes, what happened? He goes, hey, it's the wife that you gave me, man. I don't know what to tell you. It's the cute broad that was naked. I said whatever. I do whatever she said. I mean, I can't, you can't blame me, Right? Sorry for that. If there's kids in the room, I apologize. But, but, he, but he goes right to blame shifting. Well, it is the woman. We do this all the time, right? Well, it was their fault. It's my father's fault. It's my mother's fault. No, it was that business partner. It was his fault. I'm, I'm just going to deflect it. I'm not going to own it or take ownership of it. But there's a fourth response, and I really believe that this is true, and this is what we need to land on today, is that we have to deal with it. So we can't deny, we can't downplay it, We can't deflect it anymore, but we really have to deal with it. We have to come face to face with it. I believe it's so critical, the equation that the righteous man falls seven times. He's got to come face to face with the fact that he's there, but he gets back up again. There will be hope, trust me. And and what, what breaks my heart about this, though, when people live in this mentality where they have fallen or they have failed, they, they seem to disqualify or discount themselves from what God may be calling them to. That just because, right, this is, this is what qualifies the righteous man, right? I believe it is both the fall and the get back up, right? We're going to be those type of people that have been made right, but something was wrong to be made right. And when we acknowledge that, I really feel like we can move to a place of getting back up. The righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. And this is critical to understand that we've been made right because so many people will discredit disqualify themselves from maybe something that God's called them to because they've made a few mistakes. And I'm here today to tell you that there's a second half of the verse that's get back up. That it's not disqualifying you. A righteous man does fall. Actually, it's seven times. It's a bunch of times. I I love that there's that there's a number associated with it. It's just like, no, he doesn't fall once and then it's like, all right, I'm going to get up. I'm going to live this perfect life. No, he falls quite a few times. 
And if you're in the room, if you've made some bad mistakes or you've made uh, some errors in your life, you've made some failures, like, let me, let me just encourage you with this. We don't have to deny it anymore. We don't have to downplay it, and we don't have to deflect it. We, we can own it and deal with it, but here's what I want you to be careful of. Do not let the fall or the failure define you. We can deflect, right? We, we do the denial thing. We downplay We don't do those things anymore. We can't, we can't keep that pattern going. But also, I think it's so imperative to be weary of the fact that we can define ourselves by our faults and our failures. I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle said. He's quoted saying this, a failure is an event, never a person. Can I get an amen to that? Are you alive out there? Did that not stir your heart? Hopefully, maybe you're feeling convicted already. I don't know, right? But let that encourage a heart in this room. That a failure is an event, never a person. Church, can I tell you that you are not the failure. You may have failed in the past. That is an event that is not who you are. The failure and the fall does not need to define you. But so many people let it define them. And maybe you didn't even want to come in these doors today at Boynton or at church at home or at Lake Worth in the room. You didn't even want to show up to church because you've disqualified yourself. You, you've believed the, the bad news from the enemy, the, the bad information from the enemy, that somehow you are discounted, disqualified, discredited. You couldn't be here. But you're in the room today to hear this, church. You do not have to be defined by the fault or the failure. And if you need some proof of that, please just look at the story of the prodigal son. Just look at the prodigal son just for a moment. If you need proof of this, check this story out. If you're not familiar with it, I'm gonna just give a quick quick uh, rundown of it. So the prodigal son comes to his dad. His dad is a man of means. He's got some wealth. We understand that from the story. And he says one of the most horrendous things you could have told a dad in that culture. He says, dad, I want my inheritance early. Now, some of you are like, that's not super bad. What he actually said in that moment was, dad, I wish you were dead already. Give me my money that you owe me when you die. Wildly insulting to the father. I don't know how you would react if your kids had come up to you and said, hey, mom, wish you were dead. Can, you, can I get the inheritance? Maybe crack them upside the head. I know we can't, we can't spank anymore, right? Spare the rod, spoil the child, though. I got four of them. I'm not below popping a booty every once in a while, all right? <laughs> Tanya. I don't know if we would have responded that well, but the father in the story responds, and he gives the son his inheritance, And we know the story, right? The son goes and absolutely squanders it. The old King James would say that he had riotous living. He squandered it on riotous living. You can only fill in the blanks there, right? Riotous living. We can only imagine what this guy was up to. And after he's broke and destitute and a good Jewish boy finding himself in a pig pen, which would have been the most detestable place for a Jewish boy to find himself, You know their relationship with pigs and pork, right? This was the most unclean place, the lowest of lows that the boy could have found himself at, eating pig slop alongside of pigs. And he finally has this aha, get back up type moment where he says, hey, the servants in my dad's house eat better than I'm eating right now. I gotta get up and go home. And what's so fascinating about the story, my favorite part of the story is the father's response. The father's response is absolutely incredible. The boy crawls his way back to the father's house, and it says that the father had been watching, had been looking for him, saw him from a long way off, and begins running towards the boy, scoops him up into his arms, 
And, and before, right, we, we would think, man, I, here's, here's where the father's going to really let him have it, right? The father's been wanting him to come back, right? We, we think in our minds, here it is, the discipline, the judgment. He, he's just going to absolutely berate this kid. The father does not say a word about the fall or the failure. In fact, the son is like stammering through this pre-recorded speech he's got. And he's like, Dad, I have sinned against you and against heaven and just make me a servant. Don't even consider me a son anymore. The father ignores that. Puts a robe and a ring. The ring was significant because that's the family ring. That's going to be a crest ring, a signet ring. And guess what the father does in that moment? He doesn't define his son by the failure but he reminds him who he is. Let me tell you this, church. The fall didn't define him. The father defined him. The fall does not define you. The father defines you. And he wraps a robe around him and puts a ring on his finger, and he says, boys, we're going to throw a party because my son who was lost is now found, who is dead is now alive. He had to remind the son who he was all along. Some of you are like, man, I have gone a far way away from God. I talk to people all the time. They're like, I could never come to your church because, man, God would strike me dead before I even walked into the building. I'd burn the place down, man. You don't even know what I've done. Disqualifying, discrediting themselves. They're like, man, I used to have a vibrant faith. I used to ride so high with Jesus. Me and Jesus, we were like this, man, and now I'm just, I'm so far away. And this story and its truth flies in the face of that thought that I can't get back up, I can't come home. The fall didn't define him, the father did. And I wanna tell you today, church, or over at Boynton, or church at home, the fall doesn't define you, the father defines you. You need to know that. You need that truth to sink deep into your heart. And what the son realized all along was that he was always a son. No matter how far he wandered, no matter how low he fell, which proves my next point I think to be so true. And it's this, if you're taking notes, falls and failures are detours and not destinations. Can I get an amen? Come on, are you alive? Falls and failures are detours, not destinations. A righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. The scripture doesn't read, a righteous man falls seven times, and he wallows in the guilt and shame, and he beats himself up for a lifetime, and he doesn't end up getting up, and he ends up staying in that place and building a home there and fall and in failure and defines himself by it. No, the scripture reads different. He falls seven times, but he gets back up. It's a detour, not a destination. But part of the problem is that we've made our faults and failures a destination, and we've lived there, and we've grown comfortable there. And for too long, we've lived in that place, and it's defined us now. And can I just say in love today, hear the Holy Spirit whisper this to you, get back up. And you're like, Josh, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can do it. And that's why you need to receive this truth today that God loves us through our failures but never intends for us to live in them. God is gonna love you through your lowest moment and your failures. Uh, Reverend T.D. Jake says this, I love this, that, that God develops our character and strength in our lowest points. Develops our resolve in the lowest points. Develops our character, refines us in those low points, those low moments. The prodigal son had the aha moment that I can get up from this pit and I can go to my father's house and the servants there eat so much better. My father has so much 
more from me than this place. We can't live there. And I think we understand that. So we need a new destination. But I think this is so true and so critical. Because you're like, Josh, why are we focusing kind of staying here in the fall and in the failure? I believe this to be true. If we want a new destination, we first must understand our location. We must know our current location. Right? If we want a new destination, I need to know where I currently am. This, this is why you ask Google or Apple Maps, and I know this is a big, big controversy of whether, whether you use Google or Apple Maps. Where are my Google people? All right, you're the right ones, okay? Apple Maps is trash. It's just not, no, I'm just kidding. I use both quite a bit. But this is why Google or Apple Maps asks you, when you get directions, where do you want your directions from? Your current location. Why is that important? Because if I want to get to New York from Florida, if I'm in New York and i got to get down to Florida, I don't ask Google to route me from Arizona to Florida. The directions would not make sense. It would be absolutely useless to do that. Why? Because I was not in Arizona. I need to know where I currently am in order to know where to go. If I want to get back up, I need to know that there's a new destination. But i got to know my location. I believe this is true. This is why Adam, right, this is in the garden. When Adam and Eve fall, you remember this moment, by the way? What a, like, we literally call it the fall. <laughs> this is rough. This is the fall of humanity, the fall of mankind. Talk about a mess up. Talk about a failure. What is the question that God asks Adam after they fall? Adam, where are you? God knew where he was. Why was that important to ask? Adam needed to come to grips with his location. Here's a wild side note, too. The fall happened because Adam wasn't at the destination that he was supposed to be. That's it. Don't let that escape you this morning. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. They had a rhythm and a routine with God. And it says, Scripture says they hear him walking They miss an appointment at a destination that they're supposed to be at. And so they go hide in shame and in guilt. The fall happened because Adam wasn't at the destination he was supposed to be at. It's critical that we're at the right destination, church. I I want to share a personal story quickly with you. This is, if you've been through freedom, you've probably heard me share this before. But this was a pretty uh, low point for my wife and I in life and in ministry, um, we were working for a large missions organization uh, before we took the job here at church and, and journey. And uh, we, we both felt like our season there was over. We both, we both clearly felt that from the Lord, had confirmation. We just felt like our grace was running out for that season and just we needed to move on. We needed a new destination. But I'll never forget, as, as we were about to exit the organization, they, they gave me this job that just really stroked my ego and the title was great and the it just fit my skill sets, my personality. It was like they tailor-made it for me. The, the, the leader of the organization even at one point called me a pillar of the organization during this time. It was like, man, talk about a prideful, like, ego feed. It just was, it hit every other right spots for me. And I remember I came back to my wife, Bree, and I was like, babe, I, I feel like I'm, I need to go do this. Like, she's like, well, no, we felt like our season was ending here. The door was closing. But I'm telling you, man, that, in that in that moment, that, that pride and that ego, I'm like, no, I, I just really think, I believe it, I'm praying, I'm, I'm hearing from the Lord, right? I had, I had all those right words to say. And so against kind of her better judgment, she's got way better discernment than I do, by the way. I've learned that the hard way. I took the job, 
And it ended up being one of the worst seasons in ministry and so much hurt. And the, the organization's leadership kind of fell apart at that time. And it wounded Bree and I to the point where it almost knocked us out of ministry completely. We stopped going to church for a little while. Like we were just hurt at a low point. I felt like I fell. I felt like I failed. I felt like I didn't listen to God. I didn't listen to my wife. And, and I tell you that story, church, because I, I just, I knew God had a better destination for me. But I settled in a location that God was moving me on from. But I did learn this, and I'm so grateful for it because God gave me a second chance after second chance and then opened the door here at Journey Church. We've been here almost seven years, and I've loved every second of it. He's healed us, man. He's restored so much. Yeah, I praise God for that. This place has been a place of healing and restoration for us like no other. But I learned this through that season, that God loves us in our current location but has a better destination for us. He will love you right where you are, but he has so much more for you. Don't settle for the fall and the failure. He has so much more for you. Don't be defined by it. Because the fall, it doesn't define you. The Father does. And he will love you through your current location, but as a better destination for us. It's why his word says the righteous fall seven times, but he gets back up. It's not a destination. It's just a detour. You can get back up. I want to read some words over you. These are from Romans 8. But before I do, I kind of want you to listen to them with fresh ears because you need to know who is speaking these words. It's easy to just hear Scripture and kind of like, I don't know where that's coming from or who it's coming from. It sounds nice and it's inspirational. But you have to know who this Scripture comes from. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the artist formerly known as Saul, right? This is, this is uh, Saul who was later converted to Paul. Paul pens these words in... Romans 8, and I want to tell you who Paul was before his name was changed to Paul. Saul was a terrible individual. Saul was not a good man. In fact, Saul was a very zealous Jew who fought against the rise of Christianity. When Christianity was spreading after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, Paul is one of the zealous Jews who is saying no to the move of God, no to the gospel. In fact, to the point where he's elevated to a position where he's actually giving the go-ahead for the execution of believers. We understand that to be true. He's there as Stephen is being martyred. He's giving the okay, the execution order for that. This is our Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament as Saul. But talk about a comeback story. Talk about a get-back-up type story. Paul would be his name after he's riding his uh, horse down the road of Damascus, literally uh, encounters the presence of Jesus, gets knocked off his high horse, like literally gets knocked off the horse. His life radically changed from that point on, and Paul goes on to live a sold-out life for Jesus, spreading the gospel to all of these different places where the Gentiles were, writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Talk about a comeback story. It is that Paul who pens these words. And you're like, Josh, man, I made some mistakes. I made some failures. Like, I have some regrets. Great, so did Paul. At one point, Paul would call himself the chief of sinners. He goes, hey, guys, if there's a tribe and it's a bunch of sinners, I'm the chief of that tribe. I'm the guy. And Paul would pen these words. Listen to this in Romans 8. This is 38 through 39. For I am convinced. Listen to the conviction in his voice. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers 
neither height nor depth. I want to pause there for a minute. Those of you that feel like, man, I was riding high with Jesus at one point. Me and him were like this. You should have seen my ministry. You should have seen the way I love people. You should have seen the way I was leading my family, leading my business. You should have seen, man, just quiet time, meeting with the Lord, the intimacy I had with him. And you don't know how low I've gone. Paul says, yeah, perfect. Neither height nor depth. He goes on to say, nor anything else in all of creation. The yeah buts that you might have, but yeah, but, but you don't know. Yeah, yeah, but Paul says, no, no, no. I want to check every box for you. Nothing in heaven, hell, nothing in creation, neither present nor the future. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Period. Period. Because here's what Paul realized, and here's what I realized in my fall, and maybe I can hopefully convince you to realize today that our location never changes our position in Jesus. Our location never changes our position in who we are in Christ. The son, the prodigal son was never not a son. No matter what he did, he was not out of the family. And in fact, the father reminds him of it. Hey, you are always part of the family. Let me throw a party for my son who was lost and is now found, who is dead and is now alive. Our location never changes our position in Jesus. Remember when God finds Adam in the garden, though, and he's hiding in guilt and in shame, right? The location, he's not at the right place. By the way, your falls and your failures always want to relocate you to a place of hiding and shame. Some of you have been hiding for too long. God has such a plan and a purpose for your life, but you've just been hiding because the fall and the failure felt too great. Well, you got that from your original father and mother, Adam and Eve, and so they're, they're hiding in guilt and shame. And God says, where are you? And he finds them. I love what God does, though. He, he gets the story right away from them. He lets them speak. He says, who, who told you you were naked? Who, who gave you bad information? How did this happen? And they explain that the serpent came and tempted Eve, and Eve gave it to Adam, and you know the rest of the story. What's amazing, church, you need to hear this so loud and clear. Before he addresses their consequences, he confronts their enemy. Before he did, because there was going to be consequences to their actions, right? I'm not up here saying, like, oh, it's all going to be great. Like, you, you will have consequences that you need to work through, right? Forgiveness that you need to give to people. Forgiveness that you need to ask from people. All of that is true. What's fascinating about the story, he gets the story from Adam and Eve. Instead of Dealing with them right away, he deals with their enemy and confronts them. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm going to curse the enemy right now in front of you, Adam and Eve. You're going to know this to be true. Because there's a get back story, a get back up story that is coming. And his name is Jesus. And guess what, Eve? From your seed, he says, from the seed of the woman, that's where Jesus will come from. And ultimately, it will be the best get back up story you've ever heard. The best comeback story you've ever heard. He does not leave them in their location without giving them a new destination. He says, I'm not leaving you here. I will not leave you in your faults and in your failures without you knowing that there's a better destination ahead. There's a better destination ahead. He doesn't end the story with their fall and their failure. He says, no, no, no. Eve, you're going to have a, a seed come through you all the way down the line. His name will be Jesus, and he will crush the head of your enemy. There's a get back up story coming. Don't, don't believe that you're going to have to be defined by this. 
because I'll send my son, my one and only son, and he will come and he will cover your guilt and your shame and he will redefine who you are. You will not be defined by your fall or your failure. The Father will continue to define you. Proving that he works all things together for good because our location never changes our position in Jesus. Micah 7, 8 says this. I love the old prophet Micah. He says this in, in verse 8. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. I will get back up. He looks the enemy in the eye and says, I get it. I'm coming to face and, and coming to grips face to face with my fall. But guess what, enemy? Don't gloat over me because I've fallen. I'm a righteous man. I will get back up. I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And listen to that language, church. Listen to the language. Though I sit in darkness, my location, my location, the Lord will be a light to me. It doesn't change my position in Jesus. In my moment of darkness, in my moment of guilt and shame, Jesus comes and he's a light in my darkness. And he's not harping on the, the fault and the failure. He's actually the one who is going to redeem it. But what do we leave knowing with today? We leave knowing this, is that the Father will love us through our difficult season, our fault and our failure. He's gonna love us through that place and has a better destination for us. You need to be reminded that he loves you. He's going to define you, not your failure. There's some people that need to be set free in here and avoiding that church at home. You need to walk into that truth today that I am not defined by the thing that I've done my worst moment or my best moment, neither height nor depth, nothing can separate me from the love of Jesus. Nothing can separate me. It's funny, I, um, I got four kiddos, and um, my last one that we got is, is a boy, so I have three girls and a boy. Boy's name's Shepard. Uh, recently, uh, this is actually this video that I'm about to show you. It's from uh, maybe a year or so ago. But I always ask my kids two questions. I always ask them, how much do I love them? How much does Papa love you? And they respond, so much. And then I ask them, when do I love you? And they say, all the time. And Shepard recently, he, he, uh, in this video, he had gotten a scrape on his knee. And any parents know, um, when your kids are in like repeat mode, they talk about the thing a thousand times. This isn't like toddlers. They cannot get off the subject. So like every conversation Bree and I would be having with them, he'd be like, yeah, yeah, but Papa, my knee. Remember my knee? I'd be like, hey, man, do you like your mac and cheese? Yeah, I love it. Remember my knee, though? Like, remember the, and he had, like, this little scuff on it. We would tuck him in bed. We'd be like, hey, buddy, you okay? You know, we would say his prayers and all that with him and tuck him in. He'd be like, oh, good night, Papa. Remember my knee? I'd be like, yes, yeah, dude, I remember. I remember. So this night, I'm tucking him into bed. And he's on the repeat train. <laughs> he's trying to talk to me about his knee. Talk to me about the fall. And I, and I ask him the two questions I interrupt. Take a look at it. Let me see it, dude. Ouch. Are you okay? Yeah. Hey. Don't hurt you. How much do I love you, dude? So much. When do I, I love you? All the time. All the time. That's right. <laughs> That's my shepherd boy. I love that kid. What, what happened in that moment, though? What happened in that moment? He just wanted to focus on the fall. Focus on the pain of it. It pop up on my knee. He said, well, it doesn't hurt too much anymore. And I interrupted because he, he keeps talking about it, actually, after that clip. He just keeps going. But I interrupted the thought, and I said, bud, how much does Papa love you? So much. He says it quick. And I said, when does Papa love you? 
all the time. All the time. Why do I say that to him? Because I want him to know wherever he goes, whatever he does, no matter how bad the fall, no matter what he does in life, I will always love that boy like crazy. And the Father is saying to some of you, no matter how bad the fall, no matter how bad the failure, he is loving you through that place and has such a better destination for you. Stop being defined by it. And let the Father speak to you this morning and define you again by his love. I think it's interesting, and I'll close with this. Scripture tells us that we have the spirit that raised Christ from the dead that lives inside of us. That's an interesting use of words, isn't it? It doesn't say the spirit that worked all of these miracles, the all-powerful spirit. It, it describes it as the Holy Spirit lives inside of us who raised Jesus from the dead, who got Jesus back up. That same spirit lives in you. So when you believe the lie of the enemy, I can't get up, I can't do it, I've fallen and I can't get up. God says, no, 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 I put a spirit inside of you that raises things back up. That Holy Spirit lives in you. And maybe you need to take a moment today to ask the Lord, Lord, I've fallen and I feel like I can't be, get, get back up. That's, you're in the perfect spot, church, to experience his love and his resurrection power because our God is the God who brings dead things back to life. He rose Jesus from the dead. He is still in the resurrecting business and he can bring you back up and he has a new destination for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Let me pray. Bow your heads, close your eyes all over our campus here, Boynton and that church at home. I, I wanna pray for those today. I'm gonna ask you for just a bold move in just a second. But I wanna pray for those in the room that would say this or at Boynton Church at Home. You're like, Josh, I'm in one of those places where I feel like the fall and the failure was too great and I just feel like I can't get back up. And I just wanna pray that God would remind you today of his love and his grace and that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Would you just shoot your hand up if that's you? I just wanna pray for you. All over our Boynton campus, we'll have our prayer team looking to even pray for you all over this room. Come on, shoot your hand. Yeah, nice and high. I see them all over the place. Thank you so much for your boldness. You guys can put your hands down. And let me pray. And church, would you pray along with me for those that raised their hands? Jesus, we, we love you. And we are so thankful that you are a resurrecting God. You are a second, third, fourth, fifth chance type of God. Lord, you are the one who forgives and heals and restores. You are the one, your word says, is the lifter of our heads. There are people in this room that need the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit right now to lift them out of a place of falling, lift them out of a place of failing, to be redefined by you, Father, that the fall has defined them for too long. Father, would you speak a word now that would be greater than any word the enemy has spoken? You confronted the enemy when Adam and Eve fell and you cursed him. And you gave your children hope in a future that Jesus would come and reconcile us back to you. God, give us the power we need to get back up. And we pray that all in Jesus' name and all the Journey Church said, amen. I love you, church. Thank you, guys.